that's what I also I love about improv. There's never a time where just before I go out on stage, I go, everything's going to be great. I know exactly how this is going to go. <laughs> you never have that. There's never a time where you can go, oh, here, I'll just, you know, just kind of uh, walk through this. No, you have to totally be engaged for the entire uh, career. <laughs> Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways with great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills. You're sure to learn something new about improvisation. You know, I'm a therapist, and I like to make people feel comfortable. And one way I make people feel comfortable is finding some commonalities. So I've studied some of your other interviews, and this I I believe this is the 90,000th interview you've done over the years. Is that correct? I think so. I'm not big with numbers, but sure. I think so. And um, so I've heard you say um, a lot. I've listened to you. I love the interview with Craig Ferguson because he's one of my favorite people. And I love the fact that although you come from Scotland, you have a Bavarian name. I think that's very unique. Yeah, I got a lot of levels. (laughs) And so I just found some commonalities with us, like seven degrees or something like that game. And one of the commonalities is you were born in Scotland. I've been to Scotland. Oh, um, yep, yep, yep. I've been there. And I can't pronounce the name of the town you came from, but that is where Sir Alex Fleming, who discovered uh, penicillin, is from. Kilmarnock, yeah. Bright. How do you pronounce it? Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock, yeah. Have you been back at all? Do you ever visit the old sod? Uh, no, I've been back to Scotland many times. And um, I think, what was it? Mm, I think on my wife's 60th birthday, we went back there. And she said, we should go to Kilmarnock and see your um, hometown. And a bunch of people said, don't go. There's nothing there. <laughs> so I thought, well, I, I feel I should, but um, I didn't at that point. Well, it's a lovely country. And there's a show on now called Men in Kilts with the star from Outlander. Yes. And uh, that I did. I kind of did an Outlander tour when I was there. So we have several things in common. We both like the series Catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Both of our fathers worked for the airline. Um, we've both had scenes deleted in films. Uh, and um, Movie career, actually. <laughs> and, uh, oh, oh, and we both had to beg audiences to come in to see our shows in our early day of improv. Yes. So I think that's some real good similarities. So... You've been asked so many questions. I have some questions from our my listeners. This is, you know, an international podcast. It's going to be seen by about five people or listened to. And I'm hoping at some time, I'm not sure how much time you have, you'd possibly play a game with me, like the alphabet game. Sure. Oh, yay! <laughs> All right. So um, some of the things I also know about you is that hoedown is your favorite game. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you've been uh, checking out Wikipedia that sometimes gets some facts wrong and that would be a major wrong fact. You did a lovely interview with a Canadian woman's group 
Um, you're you're very generous. You have scholarships, I think, at theater theater sports still, where you started mm-hmm. in Vancouver yeah. and other places. Um, you're very uh, great, big supporter of LGBTQ movement because um, you have a son. So I've heard you speak of these things uh, publicly. Um, and you got your start in something called the death and life of Sneaky Fitch. Is that right? Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Yes, it's a, um, a stage play, a, sort of a musical comedy western. I don't think it was ever performed outside of high schools in the 70s. So, um, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that was probably the last production of it ever. So, <laughs> it hold a special place in my heart. It got me, um, well, it got me into this profession. It was, um, I got my first laugh doing that show and that was a game changer for me. I can still remember that moment and still remember the feeling. And yeah, it was a moment where my life literally changed in like three seconds. I understand this. I totally understand it. Um, Although I've only been in improv for 10 years, I was a speaker for about 25 years on the healing power of humor and play and laughter and did something called New Games, I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. But anyway, um, another similarity. So when you start out in theater sports, you know, we have all these schools of improv. When I was growing up, kind of near when you were growing up, I grew up with things like um, Jonathan Winters and um, the old-time comedians like Ernie Kovacs and Red Skeleton and Red Button and Ed Sullivan's, all the comedians. Um, and did some of those influence you? Because I, I, I know I read that you were very influenced by TV. You'd be very happy to just watch television. Yeah, I was. I mean, um, and I, of course, looking back, I feel it was a golden age of television. But, um, yeah, people like Jonathan Winters, uh, the Dick Van Dyke show, the Andy Griffith show. Um, you know, there were a, a lot of shows that um, had a great marriage of the performers and the writers uh, sort of coming together to make something wonderful. And I was always fascinated. I was, I always liked the second bananas, like, um, you know, Tim Conway or. uh, Oh yeah. um, I always loved this being the support guy. Um, And they were people who inspired me. I'm thinking of Rosemarie on the Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah. Rosemarie, Maury Amsterdam. I mean, that, that was a great cast and they managed to showcase everybody in different episodes. And uh, the writing was um, just uh, uh, amazing because, and it still holds up today. And it does, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. Carl Reiner. Yeah. So we can't beat that. No. Um, so I have some specific questions from my fan base to ask you. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. My- all questions. All right. Um, someone asked, uh, do you think there's a stigma that follows short form around? Uh, yes. Short answer. There is. Um, I mean, I know when we were doing uh, doing Whose Line, um, there was a lot of, uh, and mostly, I mean, in the improv community, there was sort of um, a backlash against it because, a lot of it went against the pure um, 
rules of improv. I mean, it was, yes, it was a little sticky. It was fast, but it, that's because of the medium we were on. In television, you can't spend a lot of time building a character, building the scene. You, it has to be there right away. So I always said, you know, whose line is just a, an introduction to improv. It's not the end all be all. It's not everything improv it is. It's a gateway to that world. And, um, I mean, I've been doing short form, well, forever and, uh, I, I enjoy it, but, uh, there's a lot of people who feel long form is the way to go. And I enjoy doing long form too. It's two different skill sets. I mean, I, I think short form in many ways is, is harder because again, it's that things have to be faster. There are limitations in each game. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's always going to be that fight against long form, against short form. And I think, you know, especially it's weird in a um, occupation where the main thing is yes and, where you accept people's ideas and build them. <laughs> it's this sort of civil war between the two things. You know, uh, it's, it's, it, it fulfills what improv is, then it's valid. So you used the term the pure form of what is the pure form of improv? Now you started around 1980 before it really boomed into something. Um, mm -hmm. I had never heard of it before when I was in school and college um, a long, long time ago. Uh, but uh, you know, you started at theater sports. Was that influenced by Keith Johnstone at all? Absolutely, it was started in Calgary by him when I uh, I was in theater school. I went to. Um, it was a, a, th a friend was doing a play reading. And part of that evening was this thing called theater sports that this guy had um, uh, started. And it was a little uh, sort of exhibition match. And I immediately was just fascinated by it and thought it was great. And all my friends were a uh, part of this group. And then I think a month later, uh, Keith came out to do some workshops and then it just sort of built from that. And within a year we had a theater sports league. And did you play games like slow-mo games? And uh, I'm trying to think of those games I know. Every game that's ever been an improv game we played, especially at the beginning. Because it was uh, – and then as the years went on, you know, people would adapt the, the game. So it would be a, a slightly different or a right. different thing. But, yeah, you know, we do the arms scene, expert scene, a scene called Boris, which I <laughs> – do you remember Boris? No, what is it? It was a. It would be an interrogation scene, and when you didn't answer the question right, there'd be an invisible uh, torturer named Boris. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and then it would give. It was usually the most physical player on the team would just like throw themselves around the stage. <laughs> that was a game that didn't last very long. I don't. <laughs> That's so funny. And then when when you went on to Second City Toronto, now were they more Spolin based? Because um, my training is actually from Spolin more than Keith Johnstone. Although I, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of the games and stuff. But when you went to Second City, did did you get more Spolin, or was it was the thing yeah, there? It more it was improv was used more as a tool to um, come up with scenes for the next show. So um, you get suggestions at the end of the show um, and then we'd sort of look at it and go, okay, let's try this sort of scene with the um, outlook that this could be a scene we could, you know, open our next show with, or we'd start the second act. 
Uh, I don't, uh, looking back, I don't, we didn't, yeah, we didn't do any games really. Maybe a make a song we would maybe close with, but most of this, most of the improv was all scene and character based. Now, while you were at Second City Toronto, Mike Myers was there during that time period. Was he playing? Did you play with him at all or? Yeah, Mike was in. So funny. Uh, Mike actually called here yesterday. He and my wife are old friends. Um, Oh, God, he called me yesterday, too. What are the odds? Oh, my God. Yeah, so when I first got to Second City, he was on the main stage. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I was in the touring company. And, you know, every once in a while, people on the main stage would get shows or whatever. So we would be the understudy. So I I got a chance to work with him in the the main body of the show. And we sort of uh, became friends. And then when I married my wife, Deb, um, we kept in contact more. And then he... um, yeah. So, I mean, there's always been amazing people um, at Second City. Some who have, of course, gone off to superstardom, but there have been some who, for whatever reason, didn't and just have had solid comedy careers and are people who uh, have inspired me throughout my little journey. So I didn't mean to interrupt you about, about um, Mike Myers. He was calling to check on you or... Um... Oh, no, he's, uh, he's doing... I wonder if this is a secret. Oh, well, he's doing a show. Uh, <laughs> oh, I won't tell anybody. Just tell me, okay? Just tell me. He's uh, working in a show, and he uh, had written a part for my wife. So they were trying to get through the immigration uh, part of the the process. So, um, And it, they hadn't spoken for a while, so it was like an hour and a half conversation of them just catching up. So it was lovely. That is great, isn't it? Have friends that long and and like Ryan Stiles has been a friend of yours for what fifty years or something. <laughs> You're not that old. You put a number on it. It's really oh, really. I'm trying to think. So uh, I would say forty years. Yeah. You're way off with fifty. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's I'm, I'm the worst interviewer in the world. God, that could be a game. The worst interviewer in the world. You know, I always. I always like that scene that um, oh Chris Farley did when he was interviewing Paul McCartney. It's yeah. like, uh, remember uh, when you were doing this on Whose Line? And I always thought that was great. So when you were there at Second City, besides Mike Myers, um, I, one of my teachers is Jeff McCloskey. I don't know if you remember Jeff at all, but he was there during that time. He's a great improv teacher. Jeff and yes. 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 Jeff and uh, Jane. Yes. Uh, yeah, um, when we had moved down to L.A., when would that be? 89, because my wife had written a show uh, that was being done down there. And um, Jane became a part of it. Yeah, they're uh, great people, great teachers, great improvisers. I'm so fortunate to be studying with him. Yeah. I really am. very, And that's one of the blessings of the pandemic. I live in Naples, Florida, you know, a teeny little town. No real place to study. Sarasota is about two hours away with our real improv. Are you teaching improv over Zoom right now, Colin? No, God, no. no. I am the worst teacher. Uh, oh. I, just, I don't know. How, I think part of it is because I don't know what I do, <laughs> really. Um, you know, I, I, I do the, the basic things where you listen and accept, and, and, and that's it. And, you know, I have had to teach through times, and I'm just so bad at it. I'll just go, no, no, that's- <laughs> no nobody, nobody learns anything. Uh, but, uh, you know, Ryan's a good teacher. Uh, Brad's a good teacher. There's a, a lot of people who, who do it very well. I just, um, I don't have that gene. 
know, I love the show that you and Brad do. It's just fantastic. Okay. Um, a night with Colin and Brad or night with Brad and Colin. Um, and especially that mousetrap game. Where the heck did that come from? Is that pure improv or what? Yeah, that was Are something. your feet tough? Uh, yeah, well, a, a little tougher than they were 18 years ago. Yeah, Brad brought that to the, um, <laughs> to the show. Cause you know, you, when we, uh, Brad and I have, you know, worked together now for 18 years and known each other longer than that. And we've been very fortunate. We've never had a disagreement about the show. We've always had the same, um, sort of point of view as to what we want the show to be and how we can make it better. And we're constantly tinkering with it to make it harder on ourselves. And we were just looking for a thing that we could have as a big ender for the show. And Brad said, well, I have this game where it's a hundred mousetraps. We're blindfolded. Um, and we do a scene and, and we're barefoot. <laughs> and I went, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so we started doing, and the audience just, it up. and we started to phase it out in the last couple of years well i mean part of it is you know i'm 63 i can't be <laughs> jumping around and walking on things that can hurt me and also it's not really uh, the improv part of it is kind of um it's almost like a harlem globetrotter scene <laughs> the improv doesn't mean anything we could be you know reading from the telephone book uh but we, we've kind of uh phased it out and every once in a while bring it back for old timers but yeah people were getting really upset that we weren't doing it so um yeah it's just brilliant but you know we as we age we need to modify our activities i expect um another question for you um is is i guess um is some on that short form question um why so many improvisers think they're doing long form makes them such better improvisers i mean do you find that at all that people that do long form think they're better or is that a judgment yeah I, yeah, I think that's a judgment. I, I'm, I've never uh, come across that. And I find, especially nowadays, more people are fine, seem to be more fine doing both. Um, I worked with a group in um, Atlanta, Dad's Garage. Oh, that's, that's a great group. Oh, great group. And they do a lot of short form, but I've done a lot of long form with there. And it, it is two different muscles. And uh, my thing is, uh, you know, when you're exercising, you're exer you want to exercise as many muscles as you can because it makes you healthier and better. So doing as many different types of improv um, just adds another uh, weapon to your utility belt. You know, yeah. with the long form, you get a chance to sort of, you know, take breaths, uh, build a character, build a scene. Um, what I love, you know, I used to do a um, – there was a group in um, – Toronto called, um, can't remember. <laughs> That's part of aging. That's a great group name. I yeah, love that. Can't good. remember. And they would do a one act play, uh, get a playwright from the audience, right. and, uh, blah, blah, blah. And the, f the first time I worked with them, what I loved was there were times where that seemed to be happening and then someone would leave, which never happens in short form. Everyone <laughs> just stays on stage until, um, so I, I love that moment because it sort of built up the stagecraft part of your mind too. Like, oh, you know what? I'm not needed in this scene. So I'll just make a graceful exit. And um, 
oh, I don't have to go into the scene. They're doing fine. There's no, I, I would just confuse things. So as I said, it's a different, it's a different muscle, which all needs to be exercised. I like that exercising the muscle. You really came through acting. You wanted you were started out as an actor, and and you're still an actor. I'm not going to list all your credits because we don't have the time for that. Right. I mean, you you got a lot of film credit, TV shows, especially in Canada. You've won a lot of awards. Has it gone to your head, and is, does has it contributed to the follicles on your head? Absolutely, they are remaining. Um. Um. Brad and I were actually talking about doing like a coffee table book just called It Keeps You Humble because we've never gotten to the point where we can be arrogant and really dicky to people because there's always stuff where we go, well, it keeps you humble. Little things, um, just little things. We asked for water once and um, at the stage and the guy said, what are you, the effing Rolling Stones? No. You know, I've, I've got a, I've got a slightly similar story if you want to hear it. Okay, sure. we got a gig uh, with the owner of a big football team, and I'm not going to say what team and what owner it was. And we're invited, and and this was on a team. It was a lot of guys. It was my early first team. I was very uncomfortable the whole time. I, I just stayed in so I could be on stage. To tell you the truth, anyway, I uh, we get to the house, and I'm really thirsty, and I say to the um, what do you call those organizers? The party organizer. It was the man's birthday, I guess, and we were a birthday entertainment. Um, may I have some water? And she looks at me like I asked her to give me give me a thousand dollars right now. They would not give me a glass of water. Water is very important. It's time to hoard it right now. Who knows where we're gonna end up. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Now, actually, because I've been I've been studying with Laura Hall for a while, that's one of the blessings of the pandemic, too. I say, and and Laura is such a she and Rick are such great people, and she loves you so much as well. And she told me that really um, one of the games you really did not enjoy was sideways because it could hurt your back and bruise you. Well. Um- I wouldn't say that. Um, okay, maybe I'm misquoting her. I'm sorry. I didn't. I mean, I right because Ryan, even though he's younger, he has an older body, so he never did sideways scene because he does have a bad back. Although he seems to be able to pick up young models when they show up on this um, show, <laughs> no effort at all. Um, but yeah, but uh, sideways scene was one of the scenes on Whose Line where I would hurt myself, and I, uh, I was bleeding once. I'm, I think I just scraped my arm. Right. You're moving on. Uh, yeah. In a way you're not supposed to, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, there are other games I have fun with ones where I don't bleed as much. That's great. Now you are terrific at musical improv and I love musical improv and you know, they do whole shows. They do Shakespeare shows. They do genre shows all in musical improv, but I don't know. Have you ever gotten a, a, a bad note in your life, Colin? Because once when I was with this group that will remain nameless, um, they, the person who was, I guess the director, I could never accept him as a director, but he was the director. Anyway, he, he, he wasn't putting me in musical scenes because I didn't have a great voice like so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, I hear you. And my thing is, I don't think that should be a consideration. Unless you're, if, I mean, I've seen, um, there's a group in Britain called uh, Showstoppers who are amazing. They are 
they could be in a musical in Broadway. They just, just do improv musicals. That's different from a night where you're doing a, um, a show. I, and I think it's really, um, it really hinders the, the improviser. I mean, I can't sing. Before um, everything went um, horribly wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was doing a um, show with a hypnotist. I was uh, touring with a hypnotist called Assad Meki. And uh, basically what happens, he brings 20 people up, hypnotizes them, gets it down to the best five, and then they and I do an improv set. And um, it's been fascinating and terrifying. And I thought, hey, why don't I add to the terror of the evening? Um, we have a musical accompany, uh, accompanist. Why don't I do a song with one of these people? So we'll do a big Broadway ballad. And again, I have no musical talent. But that is the most fun I have during the show because I'm doing something that is so outside of my comfort zone, but totally committed. And sometimes I'm actually better than the hypnotized person. Not often. <laughs> but it, it, it just builds your confidence. Like, okay, I'm not sound. And it, it's always um, eaten at me that I don't have that uh, thing, that I don't have, you know, like Wayne or Brad, where I can sound uh, beautiful. But I can, you know, get to the funny rhymes. I can commit. And so... That's just as important. That 100% commitment is what makes you so great. I've been reviewing some of the musical numbers you've done. And that commitment and the ability to rhyme so quickly is just amazing to me. It's just wonderful. I think I can rhyme pretty well. Um, I know I don't sing well. Um, I've been recording my sessions with Laura, and it's embarrassing. I don't want to hear them. I just want to learn. <laughs> has, she, uh, has she used me as an example? Because I think she says on most a lot of her classes, she uses me as an example. Yes, yes. Who can't sing and yet will be committed. So that's yeah, all. Yeah, and not to take offense to you anyway, because, you know, I really want to sing, you know, but I don't have that voice. But I can be committed if you want me to be. Yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. So I, I want to go back to this question. Have you ever gotten a, a bad note when you were a student and did it affect you? Because there's a lot of talk about how people are teaching and the kinds of notes they receive. Or were you such a brilliant, um, natural uh, improviser? Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I try, Well, I think one of the things that was uh, I, I was lucky at in that I was there kind of at the beginning. So the teaching was fairly uh, basic. You know, you listen, you accept ideas. And uh, I think it became later where it's, uh, it became um, a thing where people would believe there's only one way to teach improv, which isn't right. I mean, I, the rules are the same, but the yes and rule gets confusing sometimes because um you can't say no in a scene but and still fulfill the yes and uh, aspect of it I if agree. someone says um so uh, mr johnson uh you've murdered you you've murdered your wife now in a normal situation the first thing you would do goes no i didn't kill my no 
No, I, I didn't kill my wife. She was here the other day. I, huh? Well, she was just here. You just missed her. So you're accepting the premise of the scene, but you're you're still building on it. Right. And it got to a point where people thought you can never say no in a scene. And you still need some conflict. Uh, and if you're just agreeing all the time, all the conflict is going. You have to agree to the premise of the scene. But within that, you can play around. Absolutely. That's what makes it so much fun. Absolutely, it does. So um, I have another question from another fan, and she said, um, what do you see as the future of improv? I, I think Sean Mulville's film, Act Social, where we did meet uh, for the first time, or maybe the 21st time, I forget. But anyway, um, uh, where, where do you see the future of improv going? And I think F Sean's film could be shown everywhere in the U.S. and people would start understanding our principles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know specifically, but it can go anywhere. Um, from the film, you can see how it helps in uh, therapies. Um, people are always trying to figure out new concepts within the improv world. You know, television shows have tried it. Um so I, 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 I don't know. Uh, part of it will always be the same. I think there'll always be the short form games. There'll always be long form uh, uh, formats, but where it goes in the world. I mean, when Sean first approached me about doing this show, he said, this is what I want to do. I want to uh, go to the UN, get every leader to be part of a big improv game and they can see what it's like to say yes and and build. And I thought, yeah. That's great. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen, but anyone who has that idea and is willing to push it, I'm with you. And who knows? Maybe one day that'll happen. Maybe um, things will be resolved politically through an improv game. <laughs> Wouldn't that? Well, I think I think Joe Biden's very interested in it. Myself, I, I think I'm going to have to send that note back to him again. So, why do you think improv has been so embraced in the past ten years? What do you think that's about? Oh, oh, I, th I, well, I think part of it, uh, when we first, I mean, when we first came out with Who's Line, I think part of it was just the unexpected nature of it. You know, a lot of uh, sitcoms, especially the ones that aren't that good, there's um, almost a mathematical rhythm to them where, where it goes, that, 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 that punchline. And a lot of the times you can come up with the same punchline as you're watching. Uh, with Who's Line, there was there wasn't that because we didn't know what a setup was or a punchline. We were just uh, going with it. So and surprise is a big part of comedy and and laugh. So I think it's sort of built from there. And then everyone it seemed everyone was starting improv groups around the world because it's fairly easy to do. You just basically need a space to perform and people. You know you don't have to build sets. You don't have to have uh, props. Really, you just it's just an easy art form to do. And there's, I, I, I think part of it is the ensemble part of it. I mean, that's the part I really enjoy that I always know I'm with people I trust, uh, people that we have the same sort of foundations. Um, and the improv community is, is quite nice, even with, you know, the little civil wars in between it. Uh, whenever there's been like a major disaster or something, I always find the improvisers are the first ones out to sort of, organize some sort of fundraiser, get something going. So, yeah, there's a real sense of community in that, in this art form. 
And so resilient. I mean, now with this horrible thing that is happening, there's such resiliency. And people all, I've been talking to people all over the globe, which is just beautiful to me. I would never have met them before. Um, about the pandemic, I think the use, because you're an actor, you're an actor and a stand-up comedian, you're, and you're many things. You're an author, you're a poet. I, I heard that you've learned to fly off cliffs. I mean, it's just amazing what you can do, Colin. But aside from that, the Zoom platform and the other platforms that we've got now, it really lends itself uh, to film and TV because this is what we're seeing. And there's been some really interesting uh, improvisers that develop techniques to use. So it does look like a TV show a regular TV show. Have you done any of that kind of work at all? Or Yeah, Brent and I, uh, once we saw that this was not going to be solved overnight, uh, came up with, um, we've been doing, virtually touring for the last, uh, I guess, five months. So we, we, um, we have a great tech team and we kind of got together and brainstormed and we uh, realized really quickly we could not do sort of a, just a filmed, uh, version of our show when you watch a screen your attention span shrinks immediately so everything had to be shorter faster we made it sort of a um, improvised sketch show we still have uh, audience participation uh, through the technology which i do not understand at all um brad is in vegas i'm in uh, toronto it looks like we're in the same room. We can we could go into your living room right now and talk to you, have you in a scene with us. Um, because of the green screen capabilities, we can right. add backgrounds. We have people send in uh, photographs that pop up behind us, and we have to um, use them in some way. So it's been fun. Um, when we, we started to do this, we had a real creative burst about the kind of things we could do. And we really worked hard to make the technology our friend and make it sort of another improviser rather than something that limited us. I think when we first w were working on the show, we were kind of, oh, but we can't do this. And if we move too quickly, we sort of blur. And then we found a way of making the tech our friend. And now we're just so relaxed in it. And the improv has become the most important thing again. So it's it's been good. How do our listeners find these? Do we just put in your name and Brad's name? Yeah, uh, Passportshows.com. Uh, passportshows.com boy this is so much fun i love talking to you this is like this is better than a lesson maybe <laughs> I hope you're learning something i well i hope you're learning something too because it's we're very all, we're always learning you've got to learn yes. there's never a point that's what i also i love about improv there's never a time where just before i go out on stage i go Everything's going to be great. I know exactly how this is going to go. <laughs> you never have that. There's never a time where you can go, oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, just kind of uh, walk through this. No, you have to totally be engaged for the entire uh, career. Exactly. Now, I've heard you talk about the other. There's the stage, yeah. impro, uh, Colin, and then there's the other. What does yeah. that mean? Uh, my wife, Deb, uh, calls the guy on whose line the other because that is so um far from who i am um we had neighbors get mad at me because they thought i was just being aloof i mean i would say hi to them 
and that would be it because I'm a, a very shy person. But they didn't understand why I'm not going wackadoo, wackadoo up and down the, our street. <laughs> um, and in fact, my wife is way funnier than me. She's a great storyteller. She's comfortable with people. She's the person at a party who's always surrounded by people. And one of the reasons I love going to parties with her, because I can just sit back and listen to her. And no matter how often I've heard the stories, she always adds a little something different in it. So it's always fun. Um, yeah. So the other is the guy on whose line who is a laugh whore will do anything for the laugh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Totally different person. There have been times I'll flip a channel and I'll see myself and I'll watch the scene and I have no recollection of the scene. All I know is I'm embarrassed about what that guy is doing. <laughs> now, you know, we're always pumped up after we do a show. And do you ever deconstruct, I think that's the word, the show in your mind? Or is it, it's over, it's done, let's get a pizza? Or what, whatever you eat, you might be gluten something. Oh, God, no. I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, usually after the show, there's a bit of a decompression where we just uh, usually go for a drink. Uh, we may uh, talk about something that went wrong technically, but the, you know, it's really hard to say. Well, you know, in that scene, we missed a point where we should have because it, now it's gone, and it'll that particular moment will never come back. It's going to be a different moment. So there's, uh, yeah. There's never anything really you can work on uh, from a previous show, except, oh, you know what? That really worked when that um, uh, music cue came in. That was a perfect uh, time to segue into another scene. But, yeah, there, you can't change, um, you know, and there's some nights you're just not as on top of it as other nights. As much as you, you know, want every night to be spectacular, some nights I go, okay, I'm a little off. I'm going to kind of step back a little and just support Brad as much as I can and you know, yeah. try to regain my, my footing. Um, but yeah, those things happen sort of during the show as opposed to afterwards. That's great. That's, that's wonderful. It's such a positive art form. And as a therapist, I'm really hoping that we can become legitimized by the psychiatric DSM people as a legitimate therapy. Cause I've been using it for several years now and it works wonders. It really, really does. It's, it's so such a great way for couples to see each other. And I just can't say enough about it. I work with special populations too, like people with Parkinson's It's dear to my heart. So I, I do that as well. It's so wonderful. Yeah, we, so, have to, we had to do a one for GM because their team was not working together. Uh -huh. so, um, Brad and I came up with this two-hour lesson plan. We could not get them to say yes. Just that we had planned, okay, that'll be my first 10 minutes. They, nobody, uh, you know, someone would start a scene and immediately the person would go, you know, you know, you know what I think would be a better idea? So uh, at one point we said, okay, everyone just lie, two lines facing each other. Go to the middle, start the scene. When one of you says no or blocks, you go to the back of the line. Well, they were just whizzing through. And then one person accidentally, I think, <laughs> said yes. And then this scene happened and everyone went, oh. And then Brad and I said, well, that's all the time we have. <laughs> so just hang on to that and try to keep that going for the next time you're working with someone. But it was it's amazing how we as people are conditioned to immediately not embrace the yes. Our first thing is to go, wait a minute, what, 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 what? 
And, uh, you know, Deb and I made a, a concerted effort like 15 years ago to uh, use the yes and in our life and say yes to things that might be a little outside of our comfort zone, to new experiences. And it really has opened up the world to us. That's how you got to the Congo. Yeah. 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 Because that was not one of our vacation destinations. And it ended up being one of the most amazing trips we ever had. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, you agreed to do a game with me. Um, and I, I, I kind of like the alphabet game. Um, I find it kind of fun. Um, I don't like the question game. That's a hard game for me. <laughs> it is a hard game. And it's kind of negative, too. So It is negative, isn't it? I mean, I, one of my faults, this is just the one, of course, you know, um, is that sometimes I tend to go negative in my scenes and I tend to go to uh, difficult scenarios. Um, like I was in a scene recently and I told my partner I was going to tell on her, tell her secrets and she's going to have to leave our town because of that. That didn't seem so nice. When I reviewed the scene afterwards, I thought, eh. Of course, we ended up in Paris drinking wine, so that was okay. It all worked out. <laughs> so what do you think? The alphabet game? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And uh, would, do we need a suggestion? Sure. Um, Landon's in the back room there. You can't see Landon. Yeah. Um, Venus flytrap. And and start on the letter H. Wow, Landon's got specific rules. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? We can always break the rules we want to. So Venus via flytrap, starting with an H. Okay. Howard, I can't believe it's you. You look terrific. Isabel, I haven't been in town for so long because I'm part of this brand new business I have. It's so exciting. Well, just tell me a little bit more about it. I can see you're excited. Knowledge is something that's very important to me. And I found I, um, Venus flytrap, and I was fascinated with it. And then I got a whole bunch of them, and now I've opened up a store. Lots of people are going to be interested. I'm interested. I would love to come to the store. Where is it? Mayberry, just outside of Illinois. Because that is the Venus flytrap capital of the world. No, you don't say. I thought it was Bolivia. Often people think it's Bolivia, a common mistake. But no, it's actually Mayberry. Because of the um, climate and the people, which is very important. I didn't realize people were involved in this. The Venus flytrap just thrives. People are important for a business, absolutely. And does your store get very jammed at times? Quite right, it does. There seems to be a rush for Venus flytraps. I know uh, there's been a big fly infestation lately, so these little friends can really help you out. Really? I've heard they can cause a rash with some people, though. Some people say that, and that is so unfair. The Venus flytrap is your friend. It would never cause you a rash. Well, thank God you're putting people straight today. And I'm sure you tell that to people as you march up and down Mayberry and let them know about the benefits of the Venus flytrap. Understand this. There are so many important benefits to the Venus flytrap people don't know. And I am making it my life's purpose to spread the news. Very good news to hear that because it's important that you spread the news and make a little money on the side. Well, I hope I can count you uh, on you as one of my helpers in spreading the good news. 
X-ray machines can help us as well because we can take pictures with the X-rays and then show people how harmless they really are. Yes, and then pictures of them actually digesting a fly may help in fly um, trap sales. Zenith might be interested. You know, they're a company that promotes this kind of thing. All the things you tell me, I don't know. This is why I want you to be my partner. You're so informed in the business side. Basically, you're saying you want me to be your partner? Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. I'll throw this I'd business aside. Can I just be clear? In, in partner, yes, just in the business. I wasn't proposing. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Didn't have that idea at all, Howard. Just because you were touching my arm, I didn't take it seriously. Every time I get a little excited, I sometimes um, invade the other person's space. I'd like to apologize for that. I meant nothing by it. I was just excited about the fact of us going into business together. Forget about it. I am just happy to be part of this new business, new enterprise that's going to bring so much happiness to a lot of people. God, Isabel, you're so right. And we're going to be rich. <laughs> it's just that easy, people. What a, what a thrill, Betty. You just made my day, my week, wonderful. You're, you're such really a kind and generous person and thoughtful and, and really smart because um, one thing that, uh, you, well, you just showed that in the game, of course, but one thing that's really interesting is references, that you and I, being close to the same decades, um, I'm a little bit older, but... Uh, yeah, you seem much younger. <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> It's wizardry. I'm a witch. Um, but uh, um, is, is that I threw out a, I threw out a reference at an improv jam, jam last night, and the reference was Jerry Garcia. And they were so young, they didn't know Jerry Garcia. Come on. Come on. That is idiotic. <laughs> That's so wrong. I know. There, there have been times where Brad and Brad and I have the same sort of reference level. Well, you'll say something, and there'll be, there'll be like three 60-year-olds who laugh. And yet everyone else, you can just hear them Googling. <laughs> it is funny to play with our peers. It's fun to play, not funny. And there's actually a, a group in the United... There's several senior groups going on. I hate to use the word senior. I'm in a group called Vintage, which is very nice. Yes, so, yeah. huh? Yeah, Vintage is lovely. Oh, you know Vintage Improv? I, I just like the term. Oh, okay, great. Well, you can use it too. I, I'm giving you permission. So, um... I, I guess now that we've done a scene together, you can be on my friend Jay Suko's show. Um, Jay Suko was the fellow that said, why don't you ask him to give you the $20 back he borrowed in Cuba? And and I did that, making a total fool out of myself that night at the premiere. But you just yes-handed me, and it didn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. That's the beauty of improvising. It all works out. It all, and this is going to all work out. How are you all doing um, with getting the vaccine, the shot up there? Uh, I'm getting my vaccine tomorrow. So um, they have yeah, they have this, the special one for the junior seniors, they call it, from 60 to 64. Uh, my wife is a little outside of that area. So huh. we'll, we'll see how it goes. Oh, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. It's going to be a while, but you're making the best of it. And you have a lot of family. You said your mother-in-law lives nearby? Well, mother-in-law, uh, yeah, she is uh, in a nursing home that's done amazing. Every um, 
every resident has had both their shots. So they're doing great. Uh, my mother lives in Vancouver. She's doing fine. Uh, my uh, daughter moved in with us just before the pandemic. So it's been great that she's been around. So we've had a good time. It's wonderful. And you enjoy your family. You laugh the most with your family, I've heard. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a good time. It's a, we, yeah, the three of us get along really well and always have a lot of fun. That is wonderful. Family that laughs together, laughs together. That's why I got into that whole humor movement in the 70s and 80s instead of discovering improv. But it just fell into being the same kind of thing in a way. So I've, I've tried to avoid typical interview questions, all right? But I do have one. It's the dinner party, and you have three guests coming over. Besides your wife. She's already there. Okay. All right. She'll already so, be there. She'll always be there. All okay. Right. So who would, who would be there? Jonathan Winters. Mike Nichols. And Elaine May. And who? Elaine May. Elaine May was uh, Mike. Oh, Elaine May, Mike. Uh, Elaine, of course, I know Elaine May. I, I, it was that Canadian accent I wasn't having. Yeah. I was having a So Elaine May, uh, Mike Nichols, what a team they were, huh? Yeah. And um, Jonathan Winters. And you know, these people never used uh, swear words or cuss words. They didn't go blue. Everything was really, really funny and still timely today. When you look at those old, like the funeral home um, business, um, it yeah, just is watching a couple last night because as you say in some way oh god now i'm just going to sound like an old fogey <laughs> but in some ways you know today it's easier in comedy because of all the freedoms we have in the old days there were so many limitations and people had to be funny by being funny they couldn't use the sexual uh, innuendo that they couldn't um um use uh, dirty language so it was a comedy of ideas and and those are the people who would jump to the front um really quickly so and yet you know uh, george carlin one of my favorite uh comedians but he did it intelligently i find oh uh, yeah people sometimes just use the uh swearing just as uh, I know whenever I've used it on stage, it's been a panic mechanism <laughs> just to get <laughs> the audience to get them out of the drums or just to get me going. But, and uh, yeah, and Brad and I have never, uh, just because of whose line, we get a lot of families coming to the show. So we always. Yeah, of course. Use, you know. But, but when you were on whose line, you had a, a censorship problem with the network sometimes and let me see if i got this right there was one time where you lost the pussy but got two penises that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know we we had come over from britain where everything right in some ways they treat their people um like adults um and because there was no script the censor had to be in the control room while we were taping and the first, our first season, um, there was a scene where I was supposed to be in love with uh, Greg Proops, kissed him on the lips. This voice came out from the studio. Can you please make up something else? And I thought, oh, and in the previous scene, I'd killed three women and throw, throw them out a window. Nothing. Totally acceptable. Yeah. And Drew has a real button about censorship. So he got really upset. So the next 20 minutes was kind of unusable because he would introduce games 
using words you can't use on television. So they came to this agreement where uh, we would tape the show and then the censor and the producer afterwards would discuss whatever the main sticking points were. Uh, I mean, we were pretty good, but it was also confusing because we didn't know where the line was. There were some things they let through that I thought, I can't believe it. And then things, you know, they bleeped Ryan saying hand once. And your mind went to 50 worse places than the worst than the word hand. And I found often when they bleep things out, uh, it was wor your imagination immediately came up with something worse than what was actually happened. Well, you know, this is a country that had McCarthyism and recently had a uh, horrific, horrific government going on in this country. So, you know, um, that's why I love Canadians. I love my friends in Canada. Yeah. I mean, we all, I mean, we have problems too, but uh, yeah. yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to get, uh, um, first of all, anyone who wants to run a country, good on you. I don't understand. It seems like a no-win proposition. But, um, and there's some, like I really, uh, I, my best friend lives in New Zealand uh, and mad respect for uh, New Zealand and what um, their prime minister has done there during this, you know, weird time we've all been going through. So it's it's been interesting that all the countries that have been doing well have been run by women. Yes, it is that is something to notice, isn't it? Mm -hmm. and, and women were certainly not being noticed in improv in the beginning, except for Elaine May and others. Um, there's a story about Joan Rivers uh, doing an improv scene, but she um, she did a she didn't do a yes and. She I can't remember the whole story now, but that's you know whatever. But um, so improv has really grown and changed, and certainly we're much more sensitive today. I mean, there are things that went on in some of the major theaters that today we would consider really poor taste, boundary violations, and the like. Absolutely, yeah. So I think we've grown a lot. Where do you see improv going in the next few years, Colin? Um, well, I, I just hope I'm a part of it because it's really my only skill. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think as, uh, you know, people will find ways to uh, use improvising to sort of open up their creative whatever, whether it's songwriting or uh, writing a screenplay or just in life thinking outside the box saying yes to different ideas and i, I think that's where the next thing is. I, I think it's going to be used in business more i've i've had a couple of uh corporate workshops where it's just you know saying yes and it may take you somewhere that's wrong but from that it could take you somewhere else that's right and can inspire you to the next step in whatever you're selling whatever you're trying to uh, troubleshoot whatever obstacle you're trying to get over. I, I think it should become more of a part of our life. And I think when everybody sees the MRIs of your brain, often on improv, yeah, that will make a huge difference. Well, I just want to thank you so much. It was so fun playing with you and speaking with you. And I know, I can't say this enough, you are a very generous person, generous in having this talk today with me, but also so generous in your life. And you help so many people. And I just, I appreciate you so much. 
And I know, do you have any words to my listeners out there before we end this lovely time together? I'm so glad we had this time together. I don't, you know, all I have to say is, you know, watch out for each other. Watch out for the people who may not have a voice or who may be um, being pushed around more than they should. You know, we're all trying to do the best we can. And sometimes we don't. Um, But that, I think, is a reason to learn from that and spur you on to maybe next time being the person who makes a difference. Namaste. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.